0: the City Hill podcast. We really hope you enjoy today's message and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill please visit our website cityhill.london So we're going to be into week three of our series one. We're going through Mark's gospel and we're going through bit by bit by bit. And some of the weeks are really, really fast paced. The first week we had was fast paced. We did five verses. That sounds really slow paced, but last week we did one verse. And this week, once again, in great tradition, we are doing one verse. It is gonna be crazy fast but slow paced today. And it all starts um, with the story of Ruth. So in Ruth chapter four, I'm going to read this passage to us. It's incredibly riveting and unbelievably exciting. Now, Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And as he turned aside, sat down. This is like a kind of business, legal kind of affair they're going through here and romance on the side. Um, He took 10 men of the elders of the city, sit down here, so they sat down. He said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you, and I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of and I will redeem it. The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you'll also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, least I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for you, because I don't, I, I don't want it. I'm, I'm, I'm letting this one pass, this one slide. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging in order to confirm a transaction One drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So, when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he took off his sandal. So, I know that's not like the most exciting passage in the world, but kind of what happens in the overall picture of the story is there is this lady Naomi, and she is living life, life is cool. She's got a husband, she's got uh, two boys then Maren these two girls, then her husband dies and the, then the boys die. And then she turns around to the girls, I've got nothing left for you. Um, because in their culture, like he says in that kind of passage, is everything is about keeping the family line going. Even after you're dead, you keep your name going. Like you're, you, like if the guy would die, then a brother would step in and he would, he would take on responsibility and the first child he had with that woman would then take the dead brother's name. It would be all about keeping their name, keeping it going, keeping his line. So that sum would be attributed to him even though it came through the brother and so a lot of guys in the old testament they, they they didn't really feel this they didn't want to perpetuate their brother's line they were more about their own line and so people would duck it so this guy is the next in line to be redeemer because there are no sons and so this guy Boaz is going like hey bro you want this this is your right I'm here I want this but this is your right and and this is down to you you make the decision are you going to step up to the plate and buy this land the guy's like yeah this land cool all this stuff great but by the way you should know if you do this then you you gotta take roof. you can't just take the land and not step up and marry the girl and do the honorable thing and perpetuate her, 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 her family line. And the guy's like, dang, I'm not about that life. I'm not perpetuating someone else's life, someone else's name. I'm stepping in, I'm not stepping in, I'm ducking out, you do this. And then he takes off his sandal. And this is to do with the law in Deuteronomy 25. If brothers dwell together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the dead shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go, marry her, take her as his wife, and perform the duty of her husband, husband's brother to her, and the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed the name of the dead brother that his name may not be blotted out of Israel, that it may not be blotted out of history. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, then his brother's wife shall go up to the gate of the elders and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall speak to him. And if he persists and says, I don't want to do this, I don't want that, I don't want that chick, then the brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull off his sandal off his foot and spit in his face. (laughs) she shall answer and say to them I love that bit I just love that old school Israel you know how those words are pronounced in Israel man those Hebrew words there's a lot of hucking so I mean if she span his face that's a lot of fun that's going to fly and so it shall be done to the man who does not build up the house of the brother. And the name of his house shall be called in the name of Israel the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. I love that. So your, your whole family name gets changed. So like you wanna do that, you wanna ride that way? Okay. You wanna perpetuate your name, your name's ahead of everyone else's name, well we're changing your name. Your name is the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. I mean, that is just like I mean, other than uncircumcised Philistine, I don't think there's a better cuss in the Bible. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, when I get angry at someone, I'm like, oh, you uncircumcised Philistine, which they don't really care about. They don't really get upset about. But for me, it's Banner for Days. But this is going to be my new, this is the cuss. This is the Christian cuss of 2018. You heard it here first. It's going to be going places. The house of him who had his sandal pulled off. It is just the greatest this of all time. So today we are flowing through the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And in chapter one, verse seven and eight, he preached saying, after me comes he who is mightier than I. Oh, it's two verses. I lied at the beginning. The strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He preached saying, I love this about John, because as we talked about in the last couple of weeks, he goes out to the wilderness and he just is obedient to God, does what God tells him to do, he dresses in a way that identifies him with Elijah and the older prophets, he eats a diet that speaks an amazing powerful word, which is like basically honey he lives off, the provision of God, but he also lives off locusts which come to devour and destroy life, and he's sustained by the promises of God, and also when life throws poo your way, he is sustained by that also. And then. He's this guy who gets this huge stature. People are leaving Jerusalem and Judea and they're all traveling out to hear a guy in the middle of nowhere, in the desert place. They're traveling out to hear this guy speak. He's got this huge crowd going. And when he's amassed this huge crowd, the, the thing that he preaches, you think, would be like, it would be like centered around him. But he shifts the whole message to not be centered around him. He says, After me comes one who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He says, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Throughout the whole of the Old Testament, there's all these pictures talking about water. Time and time again, it's always about water. And whenever they talk about water, they're always related, not always, generally, mostly related to the Spirit of God. And so what John is saying, he says, guys, I pulled you all the way out into the wilderness. Everyone else was baptizing you into their ideology, ideology, their way of doing things, their belief system, their sect of Judaism. I brought you out here to strip it away from all of this stuff, to take you straight to God, into the wilderness, and with no nonsense, you and God. What I did was symbolic. I took you out here, in the hope of God washing you. I took you out here in the hope of you doing something symbolic that identifies with this. I took you out here that you guys would come out, that you would experience the water, that you'd be making a gesture to God of something symbolic and deeper and meaningful that's happening inside you and with you. And then he says, but this guy, he's actually not going to do something with water. He's not going to take the simile uh, of of the prophets. He's not going to say the imagery that they've used time after time to speak about God's spirit, he's just gonna bring the heat, he's gonna bring the spirit. Like, I'm doing this thing out here trying to give you the simile, he's giving you the real deal. And so what he says is, is he starts off by his whole preaching being centered around after he, after He, after me, he who comes is mightier than I and the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now in John 3 30, one of my favorite, favorite Bible passages if you've got your Bibles open, just flick straight there. It's such a banging passage. So much so that I had a little Christian Indian, la- indie lab- Indian label. Love that. Indie label called John 3.30 back in the day. And this passage. Oh, man. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now a discussion arose, verse 25, between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John, and they said to him, Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and people are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bride. The The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase. I must decrease. When we look at some of the things that John says, this this one verse in Mark's gospel where he talks about the, the sandal strap and the sandal coming off his feet. like People always talk about it being like a humility thing, and it is kind of a humility thing, but that's not the main message that the heroes at the time took from this passage. When, when it's repeated in all of the Gospels and even in the book of Acts, it's such a key thing that God wants us to understand and get our head around, but also for the hearers at the time when they, when they read this passage, when they heard it, when they, when it was shared, whenever it was read, they understood it and they saw the context of Ruth and Boaz. They saw a story of redemption and they saw um, a, a, a legal language. So, in John's gospel, when it talks about it and it says uh, like man, it talks about a man doing it. In, in, in John's gospel, it says man. And it, the word that's used isn't so much what we would say as in when we address someone, but it's talking about male. It's talking about the specific sexual gender with the idea of this being about something that isn't just identifying an individual. as as a person, but rather making the specific point of this guy and his role to play in this. Because you see, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie, is John is making to them a declaration of who Jesus is. He's saying that Jesus is the one who steps in and he says, I'm not fit to take the sandal off because the crowds around him are wanting John to step in and be the Messiah. And he's saying to them in John, in John chapter three, like, hey, I'm not the Messiah. I told you I'm the guy who goes ahead of him. I told you that I'm not the guy who does this. And listen, I'm just the guy who stands and here and I rejoice with him and I step back and I know my place, he must increase and I must become less and less. He is the bridegroom, he marries the girl, he, he goes off into the sunset. I'm the one who just steps back and has joy in the fact of what he's achieving. But then when we look at the bigger picture of scripture, this actually spans a much bigger range than this because actually time and time again, some of the greatest names in the Bible had to do something which at the time, they were just being obedient to God but actually has a bigger picture. Like Moses, is standing before the burning bush and the first thing God says to him is, take off your Havianas for you are standing on holy ground. Like Moses, with all the liberation that he would bring, the freedom he would bring to that people, he wasn't able to be that Messiah. He wasn't able to be that person who would step in the gap, who would step in the place. He wasn't able to fulfill that role. And then Joshua, his successor, the same thing again. God is calling him and the people are looking to him and and seeing him as this, but God is telling him to remove his Havianas, that you don't step into this place. This isn't the role that you take. I think the thing for me that I love about this passage and what it highlights to me and what I get out of it is not just so much um, humility in the sense of how you and I talk about humility. The idea that people talk about humility with in the Christian faith today is often like a self-loathing kind of thing. It's a thing that kind of puts you down. It's the thing that kind of breaks you down, but actually it's understanding your real true position in this. John the Baptist had humility because he had absolute clarity about his position in relation to Christ. He knew that he was just, he was just here to hear and be filled with joy about what was happening, that he could see and observe who Jesus was and what he was going to do, that he was under no illusions of grandeur, he was no illusions of him being more than the sum of his parts. And it's when we stand in correct place to God, everything else around us flows. So often I've been in kind of meetings and in different environments where I guess people have tried to be more than John the Baptist. John the Baptist was like, what I'm doing today is symbolic. But Jesus, he's the one who washes you. He's the one who's going to cleanse you with the Holy Spirit. I'm here doing the, the symbolic purification, the symbolic washing, that we step forward and we acknowledge our sin, we acknowledge our part, and we hope that as we do this symbolic act that God is going to intervene in his part. But John says, Jesus is the one. He comes and he washes and he cleanses us. The reason we come every single Sunday, the reason we are massed together every Sunday, is the acknowledgement of who we are. The acknowledgement that we couldn't remove the sandal. We couldn't step in his place. I remember hearing Kenneth Copeland, who um, like, is such an exciting communicator to listen to, but just says some of the wackiest stuff I've ever heard in my entire life. I literally remember watching him preach one time where he t- turned around to a congregation and said, um, you know, one day I was thinking and I was like praying and I was talking to God and, and God said to me, yeah, you know, Kenneth, you could have died on the cross for the sins of the world. You could have stepped in his place. You could have done what Jesus done. Sure you could. And I remember watching that and I was just like, man, this guy's not even on cocaine. I I have no idea what he's doing, talking stuff like that without being on the cocaína. I have no idea what is going on here. But he actually said that statement. But when the crowds were hyping John up, because that guy's gassed, he's got this huge church, (coughs) feeling the hype of how big he is, gassed, gone to his head, says something stupid like that. You got John the Baptist, whole cities and towns are moving out to the wilderness to hear someone speak in the middle of nowhere. Who dresses like a weirdo and eats disgusting stuff and they're coming to hear you. You are the main event of the evening. And his his attitude in all of this is totally different. He has complete undivided clarity in who he is. And he's just willing to fade into the background and step back. I think the most blessed position that you and I can experience is when we come to that place. When we come to a place of freedom and liberation in knowing our correct standing with Jesus in the way that John knew his correct standing in Jesus. There is this comfort that can come where we can be comfortable within our own skin, within our own identity. I feel so often in society today, you and I are overwhelmed with a sense of trying to be more than we are, trying to be something we're not, and judging ourselves and holding ourselves to account against an image of a person that isn't you. It isn't who you're called to be. It isn't who you're ever gonna be. I'm not talking about not excelling. I'm not talking about not pushing. I'm talking about being consumed by an identity that's not even yours. And we get so caught up and beat down with these things, but John, in the face of everyone, the masses and the crowds, is able to position himself correctly before Jesus. After me comes one who is mightier than I. I'm just doing a symbolic gesture today, but Jesus is gonna come and wash us. I baptize you with the visual aid, the metaphor. But Jesus does the thing. You know, if someone came up to you and the sun was shining behind them and a shadow just rolled out in front of them, you wouldn't fall down to the ground trying to hug the shadow. Like, oh, my wife's here. Boom. Like, face down, smack on the floor, hugging a shadow. You hug your wife. You hug, you know, you hug the person you love. You like, hug your friend. You hug your, your kids. You don't, oh, the shadow, the shadow, the shadow. John was just this forerunner. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that so often in life, you and I can get caught up with an ideology and an identity that is toxic that can lead us even in the good times to some pretty disturbing and disgusting places and today it is more easy than it's ever been for you and I to get so gassed up about ourselves that we put ourselves forward to the disregard of our family our friends our loved ones rather than 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 serving them in the way that we're supposed to I'm going to pray for us today and then that'll be it with today's message Father, I thank you that John was someone who knew with absolute clarity who he was called to be. He knew exactly who he was, and he knew exactly who you are. So often in life, God, we're trying to take off slippers that don't fit for us, trying to wear shoes that are too big for us, trying to live in an identity that's not even ours, holding ourselves to account to someone that isn't even who we're supposed to be, and pressing and pushing for things that aren't destined for us. Father God, I pray that you would reveal to us and guide us by the Spirit of God, which Jesus washes us with, that we would be cleansed and understand our identity and the path and the calling that we have upon our lives. Not because of what someone else is doing, not because of who someone else is, but who we want to be, who we are supposed to be, who you are shaping us to be. Lord, that we would just step up into all that you have for us. So much in society, its view of men has so much negativity around it. I pray that we'll be men of integrity and of honor. I pray that we'll be men that pursue the wider good and not just that of our own. I pray we'll be people that hold fast to your word and that love you and that hold you in correct position, that we may also therefore be in correct position. In Jesus' name, amen. We really hope you enjoyed today's message, and if you'd like to find out more about City Hill, please visit our website, cityhill.com.